Hello, everyone. It's G3, and we are back with a new episode of Green Marbles, the first vintage of the new year. And I'm delighted to have with me on the other side of the mic, Jordi Visser. Now, right now, 2023 predictions are fresh in everyone's minds, and investors are hoping that 23 won't be a repeat of 2022. But no matter how the year unfolds, Jordi believes that it is important to have a game plan that can anticipate unexpected events and developments. So please check important disclosures at the end of the episode and stick around for our discussion on how to prepare for the year ahead. And with that, welcome. All right, we are recording our first episode in 2023. Jordy, great to see you. Happy New Year, G3. Happy New Year to you as well, and Happy New Year to our audience. Excited for today's episode and all of the fun ones we're going to do this year. But before we get into our main topic, as has been our habit as of late, I am going to kick things off by talking about sleep. (laughs) 2023 is a good year, an important year for progress and specifically progress on sleep. So have you been doing and what was your sleep score? It's good news, bad news story. So December followed on November, meaning for the month of November, it was my highest sleep score ever for the month. December was better than November. The bad news is I've decided to, and my, you know, we talked about last time, no new year's resolutions, but my rabbit hole resolution for this year is to better understand everything I can about HRV, including the importance to the body. So I've spent some time on it. And yesterday, part of it involved changing some of my nighttime habits Mainly stopping any wine after 7.30. So just before we go on here, HRV, heart rate variability. Yes. It's simply the variation in heartbeats. And if you want to think about it, you see a EKG and you see the line go up and then it goes back down and then a certain amount of seconds later it goes back up. You're measuring the time basically going between fight or flight and rest and digest. So a high HRV equates to a high ability to be responsive to things life throws your way and is generally associated with good health. Is that fair? Yes. That is the general thing in my learning at this point. I think if you think about NFL quarterbacks and you hear the phrase happy feet, the ability of handling the pressure and not going into fight or flight, not overreacting. If you can handle in that longer period of time, so a higher number means a bigger spread between fight or flight and rest and digest, basically you're, theoretically, you're able to control your fears much more. So this is something that as I go through this, whether it's Buddhist monks, whether it's Wim Hof, the ability to control what is effectively known as 
involuntary data, which is why it's so interesting, meaning you can't just sit there and go, mm, I want to make my HRV go higher. It just doesn't work that way. You can work out as much as you want. That won't ensure that your HRV will move anywhere or at least, at least not meaningfully. So to get back to last night, my sleep score dropped. <laughs> it's still in the good area, but it was my lowest sleep score in six weeks. My HRV was the highest on record. And this is the reason why Again, I hate to be a spokesperson and I won't be for specifically ordering because I get my HRV also on my iWatch, but for data, you can try a bunch of things. I'm working out more. I'm healthier. Well, do you have the data to support that? So the great thing about what happened last night is my sleep score was lower. My HRV was higher. Now, the thing that I'm playing with, which if I had to say, well, I had less red wine than normal. I stopped at 7.30. Well, that's a change. I had tea instead of wine from there until bedtime. But I had my lowest activity score for yesterday that I've had in a long, long time. And the reason was because I was writing my Outlook paper and finishing it up and I didn't move much yesterday. And the bike ride itself that I did in the morning wasn't enough, I'm sure. So I probably just wasn't as tired as I am. But I've also incorporated a lot of breathing exercises on top of the breather and so we'll see where things go. I don't know if my HRV was higher because of reduced wine or whether it was because of the breathing exercises, but my guess is in the studies that reducing wine before you go to bed will increase your HRV. So high HRV, good, less wine, breathing, ways in which you can get there. We're going to keep playing with this all year, G3. All right, and, I, and I'm going to start tracking it. I did look at my HRV. It wasn't great, so I have plenty of room for improvement there. Switching to the markets, let's talk about how to make sure that the 2023 game plan for investors has a high HRV. <laughs> you know, and look, we've talked about this, we've done podcasts about the firm's Bayesian philosophy of making adjustments in response to changing conditions. We know there are going to be surprises this year, unexpected things that come the way of the markets. And I liken this process to how, you know, a football team prepares for an upcoming game. They obviously design the game plan, but a good football plan will accommodate for the unexpected things that happen. So off the top here, let's just have you highlight four or five places where you are anticipating possibly having to make adjustments to the playbook, depending on how things play out over the course of the next couple of months. So let's break down. The end of 2019, if you put together a playbook, a pandemic was not in the playbook. And basically, you had to throw the entire thing out. It was like you're playing a completely different team than you prepared for. Not a different quarterback, not a different running back. Not all of a sudden, someone comes back from injury or someone's missing. You literally played a completely different team in 2020. And I would say in 2021, it was almost a similar thing. Out of the three years, I would say that one had the least surprises, because the variant was still there, we had printed money, but it was still a year with a lot that went on. 2022, no one had the Fed raising rates as far as they did. Nobody. And I would say where inflation is going to finish the year because of the drop off in the end of the year, inflation wasn't as big a surprise as people think just because the final six months of the year are coming in right now it annualized around 2% based on the forecast for December. So it was really about the Fed surprise. So when we go into this year, I don't expect anything of that magnitude. I think this is going to be about the economy 
a recession or no recession is the debate for this year. And when I say recession or no recession, I do mean recession or no recession. Even zero GDP this year is no recession for me. The Fed rate path, is it right? Or are we going to have any more surprises from the Fed? The pace of inflation, I think, has something that people should be prepared. And these are all themes that I think you want to adjust to based on the year. And you already want to have like an understanding that where these things may alter from the current expectations as we end the year is going to give you opportunities to make some money. The Chinese economy this year is going to be really critical. They've been pumping an enormous amount of stimulus into the system against the zero COVID policy. Zero COVID policy is clearly coming near the end or, or has ended and you're entering a very different state. So the Chinese economy would be the fourth one. And then whenever you have A, the S&P below the 200-day moving average, and B, money supply dropping off this dramatically, a systemic risk possibility has to be somewhere in your playbook. Let's tick these off one by one. So the U.S. economy, you have remarked in the past, you have been very clear that even though there is no official definition of the term recession, no matter how you want to define it, you don't see a recession on the near-term horizon. What signals are you going to be looking for where if you see them, you're going to respond by saying, uh-oh, there could be a, a change of foot in the near-term future? So I'm not expecting a recession, and I'm not going to go through the reasons we've talked about them repeatedly, but just to make it simple... I don't expect there to be job losses this year, and I don't expect top-line revenue and nominal GDP to drop below zero. So what signs or what monthly data am I looking at to see if the probability that changes? Because there's a lot of data that has people thinking there's a recession in the housing market. They're looking at jobless claims, and they're reading some of the anecdotal stuff on there. They're seeing money supply. They've seen the rapid rate rise, and also the manufacturing-ism data is below 50 all of those have people saying legitimately, hey, historically, when these things have occurred, we've almost always had a recession. And those things are absolutely true. So then you get into, well, how's it different this time? And I don't want to get into that because that gets into longer term things. This podcast is about adjustments that you make. So number one, the service PMI is far more important than the manufacturing PMI. The service PMI is still at 56. It needs to break below 50. So if we're seeing weakness in the service PMI, Think about the service side of the economy. Basically, 70% of the economy is the service. We are not a manufacturing-based economy. Manufacturing's dropped off because we had too much inventory. Inventory has been coming off now. We started seeing it with Walmart and Target in the second quarter when they started talking about it. So service PMI, really important. If people keep spending money and the consumer is still there, which is the second point, personal spending numbers on a monthly basis, they are still tracking year over year at above 7%. You need to see personal spending drop off and consumption drop off because it's 70 plus percent of the economy. The jobs picture. I don't think you're going to see spending come off if people can get a job. So you got to watch the jobs number. Right now, over the last six months, we've created 2 million plus jobs. So how people are talking about it, they're extrapolating that we're going to lose jobs. Well, great. The last six months is 2 million and we're still right now coming into this year with an estimate between 200 and 250, which would mean we're still talking 1.2 million to 1.5 million on a six month basis. So I would look there. And then the only other picture to me that I'm going to be spending time on is just how the earnings come out for companies. I want to look at the revenues, the earnings themselves, that deceleration, how far down is it going to go is going to be important to me. So if all of a sudden these signs emerge, what do you do? They're going to weaken. The question is, what is the rate of change? 
we were way above historical normal on almost all of these. So personal spending at 8% a year is way above the historical norm. If we fall and collapse to four, no recession. So you're going to need to see the rate of change come off considerably because without job losses and a systemic event, we've never seen jobs come off sharply. I was describing to one of the PMs here that even in January through June of 2008, if you go look not at the revised data because that's not what's going to affect the playbook, it's the actual release of the data. What happened in January of 08 to June of 08, well after the peak of the housing market, well after we were already losing jobs on the housing side, well after Countrywide had gone out of business, Bear Stearns had gone out of business, we still were around zero jobs a month. So to actually get job losses of any significant magnitude, we had to run into a systemic event and Lehman was the systemic event. So I think there's a risk here for people that the jobs just aren't going to come off, A, because the labor situation is much different than it was in 07, 08 because of demographics. And so the jobs picture is really going to be the main thing. So I'll be watching continuing claims, which say how long it takes for people to get a job once they've lost it. I'll be looking at the jolts, the opening, because those need to come down more. And all these kind of monthly numbers, they'll matter a lot. But as of right now, I don't have any belief that things are going to come off sharply. I think they may come off in a slow manner. I totally understand all of that. That makes sense to me. But just to get back to the original question, if things do come off faster than you anticipate, if we do get that sharp reaction, what should people do? Well, at that point, I think everyone's going to migrate into a typical recession playbook, which would mean at this point, bond yields. So I think at that point, people are going to start buying bonds. Inflation is already coming down. And I think anything where the economy weakens, the probability of recession, not of inflation going higher has gone down. So they're going to start building in lower, lower yields. And I think you could see 10-year yields in the US get below 3%. So I think the bond playbook would come out. What that would mean with inside the stock market is that you'd probably get a shift away from cyclicals, which have actually done well, away from commodities. And you're going to start to see people move more into the defensive area that's more sensitive to rates. And even, I hate to say it, technology stocks for the time being. So if you start seeing this stuff come off and we're talking about it, I'm going to start saying, hey, this is where I'd be looking and credit spread should be widening. You should be avoiding high yield stocks. We're not seeing any indications of that, but that's where the adjustment would have to come. Got it. All right. Well, let's talk about the Fed, which could very well be the biggest X factor here. What needs to happen in order for you to say, okay, expectations for the path of what the Fed is going to do now needs to be adjusted because the Fed is seemingly hell-bent on ignoring all of the signs out there. What happens for you where all of a sudden you have to revisit your views on the Fed? Well, I know that I, when I gave you the order of things, I gave the Fed rate path second and the inflation third. But what's really interesting as I'm thinking about this, so all of these playbooks, and this is what happens even with Vegas, Everyone who looks at a football game, if your team wins the prior week, your brain immediately assumes that they have a higher probability of winning next week just because they won the prior week. And the reason that's important is if you extend that to someone, and the Jets are a perfect example, they get to seven and four, they are looking good, and then they lose the rest of the games possibly to finish the season. You're really high when they're seven and four and believing that all this young talent is great and then they lose and you've lost 
even interest for next year, even though they surpassed what was expected. The reason I bring that up is all of the things we're talking about, there's still an element of positioning, which is related to what happened last year. So and the economy, the reason people are more focused on a recession is because we've been headed that way since really June of last year. The reason people are still worried about the Fed and the path that they may go is that most people I read think people are still doubting the Fed. They have eases into next year. The Fed is going to continue to fight this inflation battle until it's beaten and nobody's listening to them. And I keep hearing this and hearing this. And although that was true last year, this year you have to have a different possibility in there. And again, I brought up some of it, which we'll talk about with the inflation. But one of the critical things for this year, it is a year ahead of an election. I don't think unless inflation is staring them in front and getting worse or at least bad enough that they're going to want to go hard to put people out of work. I just don't believe that they want to create job losses in the way that most people talk about. Most forecasts for this year have the unemployment rate rising to four and a half to five percent from the current levels around 3.7%. That's a significant amount of job losses. And that is why the recession call is out there. I just don't think that should be the baseline, I guess, is really the point. I understand the path of everything suggests it's likely, but the structural labor shortage and just reading the beige book, and I included this in my Outlook paper, the beige book, which comes out about right around the time of the Fed rate decisions, if you look at what it said in the most recent one, A, the labor market is still tight. But secondly, and this is, again, an indication of the demographic impact, people were worried about laying people off if they had to turn around and hire more because of how hard it was to hire them in the first place. So I think that labor shortage situation, we just haven't reached a point yet where I think the Fed is going to want to err on it. So if inflation is coming down, I would expect that the Fed is going to be comfortable with where the market has priced in Fed funds rates. And maybe it's slightly above, but I think this is going to be a neutral in there and that I don't think they're going to be the big surprise this year. You said inflation is coming down. It is. Most people assume that it will continue to come down. What needs to happen in order to catch you off guard? And how likely is there a possibility of something happening on the inflation front where you have to change the playbook? I mean, the last six months, <laughs> you're going to come in on headline CPI 2%. The first six months of last year. So the final six months of this year will annualize at around 2% based on a zero consensus forecast right now for December. The first six months of last year was over 10%. I have never been associated with something that the rate of change drops 80% and we're still talking about inflation being at the higher end. The reality is I think it is not only likely, unless something dramatic changes in energy prices, which I don't see happening, I think you're going to be stuck with a scenario that inflation surprises on the downside. If it does surprise and things are higher, then I think it increases the probability of a recession. So then at that point, if inflation is sticky, particularly core, and the Fed doesn't adjust, then a recession becomes more likely and people should actually be buying bonds. And I think the curve would continue to invert more than it already has. So in inflation surprises on the upside. That means the Fed is going to be more vigilant. That means you're buying bonds. Yeah, because I think it's a mistake. So again, if the Fed is following a lagging indicator and trying to get it down, then they're saying what they said in September of last year, which is more pain to come. We want to get this thing in. And I just don't believe ahead of election year that they mean that when inflation has trailed lower. They can pick one-off inflation data points. But the reality is inflation has been trending lower. And as I mentioned, headline and even core lately 
has come down. So if it doesn't and it's stubborn and let's say core inflation prints come out at 0.4, 0.4, 0.4 and you're annualizing over a three-month basis at 4.8 to 5%, I think they're probably going to continue to do the 50 until they see that number come down. And I think it would be a mistake, but the reality is it doesn't really matter. If they do that, I would be building in more of a chance of recession. Got it. All right. Well, I said that the Fed was maybe the biggest X factor out there, but maybe it's China. You've talked a lot about animal spirits in China. The economy has been a major topic as far back as Evergrande. Well, even before then, but I remember talking with you and Mike about Evergrande and the problems that burst onto the scene in the broader property market there and the fears that started to grow. And that ultimately gave way to the zero COVID policy, which of course created widespread damage to the Chinese economy. What potential adjustments should traders be prepared to make related to China this year? China is, to me, the most likely to surprise because they've already had what I would say is a playbook adjustment that people need to have. So for the last two years, beginning really in the first quarter of 2021, before the Delta variant started to poke its head around in Europe and eventually went through China over the summertime in 21, the Chinese economy has been in a false start side, meaning the zero COVID policy became a problem once the Delta variant became obvious. And the reason was because we knew we were going to continue to get more variants and China had not made any progress on mRNA vaccines. So what you were left with is no belief and they lost confidence that they would ever be able, and this is the locals, go out and have a reopening because the reopening would start and then the second that cases would go back higher. And as we all know, we went through multiple waves. Well, they tried to eliminate all waves and what they left with was we eventually have got to have a big wave. Well, they're going through that right now. And so you're ending the zero COVID policy. Now, right now, they're actually going through shutdowns. They're going through another wave of lower economic growth. It's forecast now that in the fourth quarter, it's probably going to be negative, which is unthinkable in China. What that means is people on all levels are like, okay, China's not going to reopen. Well, the reopening is happening because they finally made the decision to abandon zero COVID. That's a major change, and I don't think people have fully grasped into it because it happened really during December. And what it's going to mean for this year is there's going to be a reopening. The reopening trade's coming. And what I told the team today was, don't think that is a major commodity boom trade. What this is for sure is travel, tourism, spending, the consumer, restaurants, everything. Once they know that they can go out, they'll start making short and medium-term purchases. I don't think anyone is getting caught into the long-term purchase because it takes a while to get over a fear like this when you've lost trust in the government. But I do think the short term they're going to get in. Plus, the housing market, although being supported, I think there's a lot of issues. And this is going to resemble the period coming out of 07, 08, 09 in the US when our housing market went down. I don't see the Chinese housing market picking up. There's just too much inventory out there and there's just too many problems. And I think you've lost the demand side. But I do think the Chinese consumer will be spending and that'll take the ISM numbers up. It'll help with people going back to work. It'll help businesses think that they can depend on no more of these waves. And I think that's a big story. So the Chinese economy is probably the number one playbook adjustment for this year because I think it's already happening. And the reason I have so much comfort in saying that, the two measures that I look at, the Hang Seng has blown through the 200-day moving average. But the ADXY, the currency stuff, is happening too. So you have a pro-cyclical rebound that's happening vis-a-vis a weaker dollar. 
and vis-a-vis stock markets breaking out. But because the U.S. and the S&P in particular is below the 200-day moving average, people aren't really focused as much on China. But I think the Chinese economy has already been a positive, and you're going to see a very large increase in GDP in China this year relative to last year. Can that put upward pressure on inflation in a way that becomes a problem for the Fed? PPI in China has been negative for some time. If anything, at this point, the only part of the Chinese economy that to me is going to be impacted for global stuff is going to be the fact that there won't be as many problems with shutdowns on the economy there, meaning workers will go to work. It'll help bringing more products and stuff and inventories around. But I don't see the Chinese consumer as causing inflation because I don't think this is a commodity thing. The commodity thing is impacted by the China fixed asset real estate. Service-based stuff is not going to cause the inflation. So I don't see this as some massive boom. I just view it as, hey, this year in China, they grew at two and change percent. Next year, they're going to grow at five and change percent. Five and change percent is lower than they were growing before COVID. I don't see this as inflationary at all. I just view this as you're looking for changes that are happening. So all this talk about China creating it, they think it's going to happen in crude. I don't see any indication. And if you want to use just what's happened so far with the Hang Seng up that much, crude's been down so far this year. Right. Okay. And as it relates to systemic risks, you mentioned systemic risks and that conjures up all sorts of scary memories for people. Systemic risks, of course, can be an accelerant for contagion. And even though maybe that isn't your base case, where on the horizon do you think that they would most likely be revealed? Well, first of all, here's the thing. We've raised rates to such a high level relative to where they've been over the last 20 years that the phrase that I've used for the PMs is that the funding markets lead the credit markets and eventually lead the equity markets, meaning you should see it happening. So the funding markets right now are not showing any real signs of stress. Credit spreads, they're really not showing any signs of spreads. They're elevated and they're elevated as much for bond vol purposes as anything else, but they're really not showing anything there. So let's talk about some areas. If I had to pick one where I thought it was the most likely, we've kind of already had it, which was the China property sector. So it started with Evergrande and they printed money to get us through it. In the U.S., I do think the commercial real estate market is a potential risk. You've seen some of their spreads widen out. You've heard people talk about it. You've seen some of the Blackstone stuff on commercial real estate in terms of withdrawals from one of their funds. I think there's a chance here. Same thing goes for the global commercial real estate market and the global property markets. When you move rates up to a high level, it does have an impact. But I just don't see this as being more than the people that invested in these real estate funds for the most part. They're long-term pension funds and things that were using it as a way to get some return above when yields were negative. And so although I think there may be some weakness there, I don't think you're going to have money leaving in a big way. I think if anything, it'll just be an asset that doesn't give you the returns that you thought. But that's where I'd look is the commercial real estate market is the number one thing that I'd kind of be focused on. Gotcha. And if we do see spreads gap out or panic set in, what would be the game plan there? Well, then you're back in the same thing, which is if we start getting a systemic event, you're going to have job losses and the Fed's going to be cutting rates. So one of the reasons that I think the market has easings built into the Fed, and I won't even say one of the reasons, I will say the main reason, which I happen to agree with If we start seeing job losses, then you have to believe the Fed will cut rates. 
job losses at this stage with what's going on, that may be the thing that people think is going to happen. But I think the reason the curve is inverted to the degree that it is, is because they're building in a higher probability of recession that'll happen this year. The longer you push it out, if we don't get a recession this year, then I don't think the Fed is going to ease. And so if you believe that we're going to have a systemic event, or if you're preparing for it, I would absolutely, again, be looking for bond yields and looking for longer term bond yields to come under. And part of the reason for that is, and I wrote this in the paper for the outlook, debt demographics and exponential innovation are three structural forces which had a place of 2009 to 2021. All of them are worse now than they were back then. None of those deflationary forces have left. So if we're going to get a recession now with inflation coming down, then I think people have to adjust to an environment where we might be back in a mode that is dominated by a lack of growth. And that would mean lower inflation. And I think you want to be long 10-year bonds above 3%. So Back to the future, as you uh, started off with. Back to the future, transported to a new time, yes. All righty. Well, this is very, very helpful. When is that paper coming out, just so we know? It'll be out either this week or Monday of next week, but I would assume it'll go out this week. Okay. So this podcast drops on Friday, January 6th. Please be on the lookout for Jordy's Outlook paper for 2023. Yeah, it'll be on the website, so. Okay. Thank you so much, Jordy. Thanks, D3. This podcast should not be reproduced, copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investment. Any health-related information shared on this podcast is not intended as medical advice or for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on this podcast. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.